And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything's potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots. Welcome to... Anything is possible! The Boston Celtics Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I'm joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King. Ladies and gentlemen, and we are joining you on a Monday evening. And we just had to come together and discuss the Celtics Overtime victory over the Los Angeles Lakers, 125 to 121, which was a rather, I think, ugly game from the Celtics, but they managed to come back and win. But that's not what anyone is going to remember about this game. Jay, what was your reaction to LeBron James's meltdown at the end of regulation? It was deserved. It was a terrible oh, call. No. Terrible no it was call. A, it was an absolutely terrible call. He got hacked. His reaction is by no means justified because of that. See, I as someone who has reacted wildly to calls in a basketball game. As someone I who also it. acted similarly poorly. I, I understand it doesn't mean it was good. I understand it. It was certainly dramatic. It was certainly theatrical. It was like a relative very close to him had passed away. Um, but I get it. I get it. <laughs> the, uh, the man scored 40 again. He The call was as obvious as a missed call will ever be at the last play of the game. And he's arguably the best player of all time. So I get so with it. that he's justified in having any reaction but whatsoever. It, it was, <laughs> there, he, was, there was he was there on was, the ground there was in downward there. dog position for 30 to 45 seconds. Like I thought uh, it was ridiculous. I didn't have enough time to grab my phone out like I should have and just taken a picture of him, but he just was stayed on the ground and the things that I think Jason Tatum has done to get a tech in his career, whether it's just like bouncing a basketball or waving his hand for LeBron not to get a tech there was absolutely insane. Uh, I understand they knew they blew the call almost immediately, but that was uh, absolutely absurd. And the only thing that made it more absurd was Pat Bev coming out on the court with a camera. Did you see him do it live? I saw him come out to the court and talk to the referee, but I did not. I was too far away to see the camera in hand. Were you able to get a, a glimpse of that from your section in the media? I I didn't realize he had anything in his hand. Um, <laughs> I wish I'd known. I wish I could have seen the camera at the time. Although I guess it made it funnier to just 
see it pop up on Twitter. That that was a magical move. Just an incredible move by Pat Beverly, who should have been the hero of that game. He had the huge three. I would, I would argue he, had the, he still was the, the hero huge putback dunk, which was his first dunk in three years, and and it was a crunch time putback dunk, like just insane, and uh, and he had that all yanked away from him. So of course he's gonna grab the nearest camera and show it to the referee. Who who wouldn't <laughs> grab a camera and show it to the referee in that situation? So, Jay, your takeaway from that game is that both LeBron James and Pat Bever- Patrick Beverly were completely justified in their actions. And, in fact, that was the normal thing for both of them to do, given the circumstances. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would have been mad, too. I would have I been heated, too. Um, but, r- really, that, the Celtics got saved. <laughs> they oh, really yeah, got was- saved. Because because not only that, but the the and one call for Jalen Brown was like remarkably late. It was either late or nobody heard the whistle because Jalen was arguing for like three seconds um, that he did get fouled and got hit on the head before anyone before at least he realized that there was actually a call for the Celtics. Uh, and I'm not sure when the whistle blew, but. That seemed remarkably late. Um, even though it was the right call, he did get hit on the head. And then LeBron should have absolutely been at the line with two free throws to win the game for the Lakers. That was... I, <laughs> I did appreciate Jason Tatum's response when he was asked about it after the game where he's like, oh man, everything was just going so fast. It was quite a blur. I don't know what was going on. Yeah, I mean, it was an that awful That was good. Call. And, and his smile made it clear he knew he had fouled the crap out of LeBron James and was just joking around. Oh, yeah. Um, completely bailed out. I, I mean, you do have to give credit to the Celtics for, and I think a lot of credit goes to Jalen Brown for how they played once they got to overtime. I don't know if the Lakers should be expected to win that game after having a their best player have a full temper tantrum, but there was still five minutes of basketball left, despite the fact that the overtime did not start tied, which is, I don't think, anything that's ever happened before. Um but the Celtics did head into the overtime due to the technical free throw up one. But they won that overtime 20 to 16. I thought Jalen Brown did a really good job of just uh, attacking the basket. And they were able to pull ahead uh, and win this game that they absolutely shouldn't have. And if they had lost, oh my, Celtics Twitter, Celtics fans would be very upset because that would have been a four-game losing streak. And I think if you're if we're going back to Joe Missoula, Brad Stevens' process over results, looking at how they built the sandcastle, there's still, the offense still does not look great. And there was still a lot of moments where it just, uh, the Celtics were either missing shots or just not getting great shots and still um, committing kind of key turnovers, six turnovers in this game for Jason Tatum. I guess they did get the win. There was this huge meltdown, but like, what did you think of the kind of how the Celtics played in the rest of the game? I just think the the absence of Marcus Smart has been enormous. Like the, him being away for four games now, it should be as clear as ever what he does, not just for the Celtics defense, but for their offense. He makes everything easier for everybody. Tatum's turnovers, and I guess his, his turnover streak started 
with the Warriors game, really, with seven turnovers. But in the four games since Smart got injured, three turnovers, seven turnovers, three turnovers, six turnovers. And That's not great. There's just a bigger burden on him. He's he's not able to. I mean, he, it's it's not as easy for him without Marcus Smart, and I just think the way Smart organizes the team is critical. And and you see the loss of that. You see how much it means to them for him to push the pace, to find the right guys with the right matchups and the right opportunities. It's just. It's night and day how they look with him and without him. Um, and and so the offense during this streak has been pretty bad a lot of the time. Um, and and I think that's in big, large part to, to just Marcus Smart being out. And Robert Williams missed that game too, so that's two yeah, huge they were absences. Getting crushed on the glass, it felt like they really couldn't do much to stop Anthony Davis. Robert Williams being out definitely – was an issue for them is just because it didn't really feel like they had, they started the game with Grant Williams um, and quickly learned that that was just not going to be uh, an option. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon started for him at, at the start of the second half. Um, Brogdon has had some nice individual performances, despite uh, kind of the offense, not looking good, just in terms of putting up point totals. And I thought he's been a good job of getting to the line. Um, he scored 26 points in this game. Um, it was actually, I thought like the reason the Celtics played so well is just that their bench so thoroughly outplayed the, the Lakers bench and specifically, you know, Russell Westbrook was a, is a kind of a mess at this point. Um, yeah, he was huge for you... them. He was huge. Um, and he, he's been good for them lately. Very good for them. Lately. He's been good for them all season, but in addition but to he's the not, scoring, he's, he's not as good in the in the flow of the offense. But he's like very good at creating his own shot. But it's not like he's the he unlocks a bunch of things for the Celtics. It's just like when they need him to go get a bucket, he's been shown that he's like capable of doing such. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. I also think beyond the scoring, though, his ability to guard up has was very noticeable. He, he guarded Anthony Davis sometimes, like. Like, obviously, that's not really a matchup you'd want all the time. Um, and the Celtics sent a lot of help and doubles and stuff like that when he did have that matchup. But but he's able to capably guard bigger guys, and, and that's a big deal for them. And I think him being in a, a more switching defense has, has been an adjustment. Um, and I think them kind of learning that that he's capable of guarding up more capable of guarding up. I think that's a big deal. Uh, so I thought his defense too was was really good in that game and was a a major reason why they were able to escape that, even though it was very fortunate <laughs> that the, the referees gave them the opportunity to escape. Yeah, it definitely feels like uh, Joe Missoula has been kind of going to him more, uh, and it feels like it's kind of at the expense of, of Derek White maybe getting uh, a little less minutes, but um, just Brogdon has been solid. And yeah, he was, there's a lot of times where it's just, he was the guy on LeBron James and it's not like he slowed down LeBron James, who at 38 years old is still like insane and can still do, uh, pretty much get to the basket at ease. But like, Le uh, Malcolm Brogdon was the guy, uh, in that situation. It, it felt like they were really trying to put Grant and Brogdon in a lot of the, the actions and, um, down the stretch, it, 
I don't know, despite LeBron James getting to the rim and clearly getting fouled at the end of position, I thought the Celtics did a pretty decent job uh, of guarding him or just forcing other guys to make shots. It just so happened Patrick Beverly made a, a bunch of huge three-pointers for them and then had that He was so dunk. good. He was, he was so amazing. Good. Yeah, poor guy should have been the hero. And you would argue still was a hero. I still was a hero in some regards. I mean, is this... Are they just are for the Celtics? Are they just counting the days until Marcus Smart can return? Is are they is there an expectation that they're going to be able to figure things out in his absence? What can they do to be better at this point? Because uh, it's really the offense has been not great, and it it just seems like they're relying on. I guess in this game it was Jalen Brown to have a, a huge performance down the stretch. Jason Tatum, as you mentioned, just hasn't been sharp and like he's still putting up 30 points and doing a good job of getting to the line uh, to kind of get there. But he's not being in kind of his MVP uh, type performances, uh, at least with Marcus Smart out, and obviously because he's getting more tension. But uh, are they just doomed as a team if Marcus Smart doesn't play for them? No, no, they're not doomed. Um, they, uh, they almost lost four in a row. But their offense doesn't look nearly the same and hasn't looked nearly the same uh the it's just been uglier um and i i think you know part of that is just the the rhythm of a season around january early february it's just kind of the dog days guys are you know playing a lot of minutes jason tatum's playing a ton of minutes by the way we got to talk about jason tatum's minutes his minutes, I mean, but he he has to play these minutes if they want to win these games. But dating back to the second Hornets game, when he had 51 and was playing for basically no reason while they were at the end of a game, I guess it was like relatively close before he hit a couple of late threes. Um, but he played 40 minutes in that game to get a win against the fucking Hornets. He played 48 minutes against Golden State in an overtime game. 43 in the regulation of that game. Then he played 38 in a loss to the Magic. He played 40 in a loss to the Heat. He played 43 in a loss to the Knicks and 47 in a win against the Lakers. Like, it's it's gotten ridiculous. Uh, and someone asked Joe Mazzulla before the Lakers game, what do you have to do to, to get control of Tatum's minutes? And he said... Well, let's not go into overtime. Of course, they went into overtime that night, and he played 47 minutes. But even without the overtime, 42 minutes is way too much. Um, but, but what is the Celtics' offensive numbers when Jason Tatum's on the bench? Because it does feel like they go through these horrible stretches as soon as he's out of the game. And so Joe Mazzulla, being a slightly um, deranged person and someone who really wants to win, it feels like playing Jason Tatum's the obvious uh, solution. Otherwise, the team just can't score. And so I understand it's like either do you want to lose these games or do you want to uh, like have Jason Tatum rest more? It feels like but there's an either part or. of being a head coach is realizing when to prioritize the bigger picture. And and maybe that's not now. I But I also know that the Celtics thought that Jason Tatum wore down deep into the playoffs last year. And they thought that that was a big reason why he was as bad as he was during the finals. And Brad Stevens even said part of part of getting through next season and putting ourselves in a better position to win 
would be to to limit the load on Jason Tatum. And and obviously you can do that by racking up wins and and you know being able to rest him later in the season and maybe they will do that. But right now the Philadelphia 76ers are very close in the standings. Tatum is playing way too many minutes and and they haven't done enough to to change that. Um and sometimes like you just have to sacrifice a a win in the month of January. And sometimes you just and, and maybe they don't even sacrifice they've lost some of these games. It's not like they've even won some of these games. Uh Yeah, but they were guaranteed to like they would not have won that Lakers game if they continued to play offense without Jason Tatum on the court. Sure. And they would not have had as good a chance to win the other ones. Sure. Um, but at some point, like you can't just be loading up Jason Tatum with close to 40 minutes every single game or more than 40 minutes a lot lately. And, and I, part of it is missing smart. Part of it is, you know, Jalen Brown was in foul trouble against the Lakers. Um, part of it is they don't trust Sam Hauser anymore. But you've got to limit the minutes on Jason Tatum. That has to be a focus. It has to be. Are you at this point, like you mentioned the Sixers. The Sixers are the hottest team in the NBA right now. I think they've won something like 19 of their last 22 or some ridiculous thing. They're only a one game back uh, in the loss column. Are you willing to give up first place in the East if it means more rest for Jason Tatum? Probably, yeah. Uh the Celtics showed throughout the playoffs last year they can win on the road. They were arguably better on the road throughout the playoffs better, last year. They were season. better on the road than they were. Uh, they home. they won game game seven on the road in Miami. They won game six on the road in Milwaukee. And Tatum had 46 in that game. They won game one on the road in Golden State. So they are very capable of winning playoff games on the road. They have shown that. And and to me, that's that's worth, you know, even if you do slide down the standings, and you don't necessarily have to, but even if you do. Well, this this is on the premise that if you play Tatum less, you will lose more basketball games. It's a, a wild premise, I know, but uh, I think it, it would hold true just given how bad their offense has been when he's not on the court. Yeah, and, and you look at the uh the splits without Tatum with since Marcus Smart's injury and it's like it's pretty bleak uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty bleak but but I, I still think the answer cannot be loading Tatum up with as many minutes as he's been playing lately 48 against the warriors is just insane 47 against the lakers is just insane um, I mean, they the Joe is kind of right. They probably should just stop going to overtime. But even so, forty three minutes, forty two minutes, like that's a ton of minutes. Forty eight, <laughs> yeah, that's a ton of minutes. <laughs> just to just for a regular season win, and you could say the Warriors thing. I think the Celtics felt like that Warriors game mentally was a big deal. Um, they did not want to lose to Golden State again. Uh. But like the Lakers, that wasn't like a. There was nothing mental about that. There was nothing, no sort of of bigger picture 
thing there. It was just a game against a very mediocre team. And it's Lakers-Celtics, bro. It's the biggest rivalry in sports. Mike Zarin's always talking about how these games mean more, no matter what the schedule, no matter what the records are. Yeah, I'm just saying. It was at uh, 8.30 on ABC. How do you t- You're telling me that wasn't a big game? By the way, I, w- I was talking about how bleak the on-off numbers without Tatum have been lately. <laughs> Their offensive rating without Tatum over the four games, the that Marcus Smart has missed. And it's just 34 minutes, so it's a small sample size, but big enough that that's like three quarters of a game. Their offensive rating, 76. <laughs> See, this is this is what you're advocating for. The, b- yes, the it logical, is. yes, it is. You're advocating for 76 they, points they per have, 100 possessions. They have been outscored by 37.2 points per 100 possessions in those 34 minutes, which <laughs> isn't great. That's not great. Uh I think but, the real solution is to do whatever you can to make sure Marcus comes back soon and comes back healthy because that feels like the only way they're going to have an offense that's capable of surviving Jason Tatum on the bench. Like I I and fully admit but, that your premise that like they need to like reduce his minutes but at what point they're all, like Milwaukee is only two games back of them and they're in third place. If the Celtics fall to third place and they're playing the Heat in the first round all of a sudden their first round series becomes so much harder than it would be playing one of the teams from the playing tournament. And so it's like regular season, especially in this Eastern conference, like I think being the top two seeds definitely matters just because we saw how tough the the Celtics played uh, against the heat. Like I do not, as a Celtics fan, I do not want to play the heat in a first round series. Getting one of those top two seeds feels important. And some of that's going to be like riding and playing Jason Tatum. Um, I I I under like it's kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't at this point because either you try to be competitive and win all these games, and or you give Tatum a rest and just accept the shittiness of uh, that offensive basketball when he's on the bench. Yeah, just just accept it. Just just realize the sandcastle is going to be pretty tough during those minutes. It's not going to be a perfect sandcastle when Jason Tatum's off the court. That shit is going to look sloppy. It's going to be falling apart. It's going to get how much of this is on? on? Okay, let's 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 run with the premise that we uh, the Celtics are going to rest Jason Tatum more. But how also, much you should be able to have a decent. Offer. Well, that's like, what I was going to ask. The other how much does the responsibility? Be like it feels like it falls on Jalen Brown and if Marcus Smart's still hurt, Malcolm Brogdon to you know pick up the slack and be able to not score 77 points per 100 possessions. But I think it's been a while since I checked, but like the numbers of those two guys on the court together, it really just hasn't worked. And so there's moments in which the, the Tatum's on the bench and it feels like the Celtics turn the entire offense over to Malcolm Brogdon and Malcolm Brogdon has done a pretty good job. Like I said, of, of getting himself uh, to the rim and, and, Although sometimes he's, it's frustrating when the layups he miss uh, misses, he's like done a good job scoring. Jalen Brown does a good job of kind of scoring individually as well, but the entire kind of concept of team offense seems to fall apart uh, when Tame's on the bench. And so, how much of this falls on Jalen Brown, especially as that kind of second star, and then Malcolm Brogdon as kind of that backup point guard, backup playmaker to run with the bench just to be better and just uh, not not 
you know, don't have suck. that terrible. Don't yeah, suck. Don't bros. suck. <laughs> don't have that terrible offensive rating. Just be regularly bad instead of just depressingly bad. That's that's how I it's, mean, it sounds like we fixed the Celtics. Yeah, and it's not like they've played like the greatest teams in the league during this stretch. That was the magic. That's the other thing. The Heat, you the just, Knicks, just, and the Lakers. And the Knicks are can't... fine. Like the the Heat have been playing well lately. They're they're fine. They're both good teams, but it's like this has not been the greatest competition where they're just getting decimated during those minutes. And it's not like the 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 schedule gets that much easier. I mean, the Nets, who are still a competitive team, the Suns, uh, who have been playing better. I like, but that's the thing. It's like when the Pistons do come to town, you just got to beat the Pistons by twenty, and Jason Tatum's got to play if like twenty eight minutes or less. Uh, when the Hornets come to town next time, they got to beat them by twenty, and and just have those ability to rest and get Jason Tatum. And that's the thing that I think the Celtics. Have and I like they very much play down to their opponents and have been in a lot closer games than they should, especially against the weaker teams. And they've not been able to get rest uh, for their guys. Um, but, e- but even the games that they have won by a lot, I'm looking at. So they beat the Mavericks by 29 in early January. Tatum played 35 and a half minutes. They beat the Rockets by 24. In late December, Tatum played 34 minutes. They beat the Bucks by 21, and that's a Bucks, so whatever. But Tatum played 36 minutes. Um, like even in yeah, their because if big, I'm Joe Mazzulla, you and have it's to the go back. Quarter, you have to go back to Phoenix. Phoenix in early December when they were up like 50 points, that Tatum played less than 30 minutes in any game. Never mind, just because of the blowout. And part of it is because they haven't been blowing teams out like they did last season. Toward the end of last season, they were just whacking everybody, um, and they haven't done as much as that of that this season. But there have there have certainly been times when they could have given Tatum a lighter night. He played more than thirty, a little more than thirty minutes when they lost to the Thunder by like a thousand. Like just just pull the cord, <laughs> just pull the cord sometimes. Uh, so I think. And I do think Missoula is like has shown that he's willing to do whatever it takes to win on a given night, and that's part of the reason why the Celtics are in first place. It's part of the reason why Tatum is one of the front runners for MVP. Um, but and Tatum, to his credit, like he's he's more available and more capable of playing huge minutes than almost any superstar. In a league where there's load management, he doesn't need it. He doesn't want it. He is there almost every night, except when his kid has a birthday party, and is capable of playing big minutes and playing well almost every single night. So that that he should be applauded for that. It's awesome. I still think the Celtics need to get him some rest. And it, it's Just like it's an annoying thing to talk about, but but the minutes have got. They've been out of control lately. Just as you said, LeBron and Pat Bev were justified in their reactions, or you understood their reactions. I understand Joe Missoula being like, uh, yeah, we're up in the fourth quarter, but our offense is terrible, and I wouldn't like to choke away this lead, so why not turn and pl- run the, the Jason Tatum play? 
Um, and so I understand Joe Mazzulla, first time head coach uh, of a team that went to the finals, not wanting to mess things up. But yes, I think ultimately you are right. Uh, hopefully the Celtics just like play better when he's not on the court or, and give themselves a, an opportunity to uh, rest him in, in games down the stretch. Um, but I just don't think it's like in their nature or in Joe Mazzulla's nature to just like when the when the option is try and win the game with Jason Tatum or kind of just punt the game away without Jason Tatum, I understand his motivation to just be like, yeah, I'm gonna go with the Jason Tatum play. And it's easier, like he should have learned from last year. Um, but you know they they go into every game planning to win. I don't know uh, if that's a, a cliche. Certainly sounds like it. But you play to win the game. And maybe he doesn't need his minutes cut as much as he did last season. Maybe he won't run down. Maybe. Because of the way he approached this season, because he made changes to his diet, whatever, because he learned from that and will be better prepared for all that minutes, for all those minutes in the playoffs. Maybe it doesn't matter as much this season, uh, but it certainly did last season, and and that's why that's why I'm talking about it now. Um, but minutes talk minutes talk is a bo- kind of boring, isn't it? I mean, we just did it for about 25 minutes. So. I know. It, it was a long talk, and I, I feel like we should just move on to more more exciting talk, like Jakob Pertl. Ooh, we got, who, is there more Jakob Pertl rumors I hadn't heard? Sham Sharania again reported that the Celtics have are among the teams to express interest in Jakob Pertl. So would would you be how, – how much would Jakob Pertl excite you? Would you Very be good. like, oh yeah, that's awesome? No, I'd no. Like, oh, that's it's like, whoa, when he when is he gonna play? <laughs> oh, sick! We like we just gave a bunch of assets for a guy who's gonna play six minutes a game. Like, how how often are they actually using Yakupurdo? And also, we talked about it in like the last trade podcast. They need a guy who can like. Does Yakupurdo? change like the types of looks you can give teams or change your defensive scheme is Jakob Pertl a guy who can switch and come out on the perimeter he seems like he's just another traditional big in which I get it he's very talented but like he's not better than Robert Williams he's not better than Al Horford and he's not like a different scheme or a different style of player than one they have on their roster and so I just would don't understand i wouldn't necessarily understand the move so i would not be thrilled with Jakob purdle yeah he's also a uh free agent at the end of the season so you either have to pay up whatever it would take and i think it's going to take a significant price because the spurs like they are at least giving off the impression to teams that they are they would be totally cool with keeping Jakob Pertl and paying him moving forward and keeping him on the roster. Um, so, so from the Celtics perspective, it would be you'd have to pay up for a guy who's probably going to be a rental because it seems unlikely that they would pay Robert Williams, Al Horford, and then Jakob Pertl's next contract, which will be pretty expensive, probably more expensive than either Horford or Robert Williams will be getting paid next season. Um, and when you look at the yeah, money so, they sorry, they already have a... committed for next year, it's already going to be a lot, and they haven't, and that's without factoring in whatever Grant Williams is going to make in restricted free agency, assuming they do keep him. 
And and if Pirtle's on top of that, it's like so. You would think it would be a rental, and maybe that's okay because they have a chance to win the title this year. And fortifying the front court would would certainly be like a help. Um, but like you said, there just won't be many minutes behind Al Horford and Robert Williams, and getting a premium premium backup to those guys. I don't know if it would be the smartest move. It would be or the best. Great. But maybe I mean maybe it would make a difference. Maybe it would be just like it's a screw it move, screw it, let's go for it move, which they are in position to make a screw it, let's go for it move. Um, I don't know if Jacoperto should be that guy, but they are in position to to just say we're really close. We have as good a chance as anyone to win a title, and let's just say screw it, let's go out and get someone who can make a difference. But does it like mess up the vibes to bring in a guy who's used to playing 30 minutes a game and starting? I, I don't know if Jakob Pertl is a vibes messer upper guy. You don't, you, but you don't know. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know guff about uh, Jakob Pertl. Maybe it just comes in and just like starts fights with everyone. I mean, I, like we've heard Jakob Pertl just comes in and clocks Robert Williams. He's like, I'm the starter now. <laughs> uh, we, Maybe it's we, just like a, he sows discontent. Maybe he just like, like starts saying like, wow. Does Joe Missoula really need to be chewing on all that bubble gum? And he just like starts just slaps just the bubble gum out of Missoula's mouth. I don't know if it's got to go that far, maybe, but maybe smaller things that just like mess with the 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 chemistry of the team. I I agree that they could have a like it makes sense from maybe a just a pure injury thing. Like if one of the bigs go down, you feel like the team is more effective. We're playing double bigs, and that's like it's just an insurance policy. But I don't know. I like. I'm trying to think if I'm making a move and making the, the like, let's win now move. I want to bring in a guy who's at least top eight in my rotation, who at least I know, like, and I want to give 15 minutes a game to, I just don't know who Jakob Pertl is, but similarly, so, I don't so would know there be that anybody that you would go after? Basically you're saying the Celtics should just stand pat or maybe get like a third big man, a cheaper third big man who can just, allow them to play a different style than Luke Cornett does. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm describing like either a I guess power forward type person uh, uh, who is like a 3 and D. I don't know, would you trade for OG Ananobi right now? Like I'm trying to just think of like contract not involved, who's the like type of player you would want to kind of upgrade this roster and I feel like it would be Someone with some size. I don't know if OG necessarily is the the biggest person, but someone with some size who can switch on defense and but is not uh, and can still knock down threes. And I just like I'm describing you know the quintessential player every single N- uh, NBA team wants. It's like oh, he's like six eight to six ten, switchable, off skilled offensive player. I'd, I'd like them to change trade for Jason Tatum if they could clone Jason Tatum and trade for him. That's the type of player I'd like to bring in. But like what, I just don't what know about Jay Crowder? who's out there. Would that interest you? Personally, yes. If uh, from an objective perspective, I just don't know what Jay Crowder. Yes, he's playoff tested. He is, does bring a level of toughness and crazy that I don't know if the Celtics. Would you want bring. him to replace the Grant Williams minutes? That is a good question. It's like, can you bring in someone to upgrade the Grant Williams minutes? And is Jay Crowder that guy? I feel like defensively at this point grant williams is just a much better defender despite i think his struggles guarding on the perimeter of recent 
is a better defender uh, than Jay Crowder. I can't see Jay Crowder being able to just guard guys like Giannis, guard someone like Kevin Durant, be physical with someone like Jokic. I think Grant is more valuable right now than Jay Crowder. Also, yeah. Jay Crowder hasn't played a game yeah, this season. Yeah, nobody so, like, knows what Jay know. Crowder looks like right now. Like, I know Jay Boss Crowder's Man 99. for a while. He's, he's, he's been grinding in the gym. I know that for sure. But uh, And just tweeting in all caps. But I just, I don't, that's just like not a guarantee that that's an upgrade. And like, that's the kind of trade I'd be willing to make something that I know is an upgrade over Jay Crowder or over Grant Williams. But I just don't know who's out there on the market. Like, the only other name I can think of that pops into mind just because he's always on the trade market is like John Collins. Is like bringing, trying to get someone like John Collins, who could potentially be a, a, a maybe a longer term starter. Would you uh, want John Collins to be a long term starter for the Celtics? I, I like mean, if I if they of... have to go after someone to be a part of their core, is John Collins good enough to to fifth, commit that type of, to commit that type of money to commit whatever res- whatever assets you'd have to give up to get him? Um, and, and like, it's not easy for the Celtics to get together the matching salary for some of these guys. I don't know exactly what John Collins makes. Um, but I know it's upwards of 20 million. I think that his average annual salary is 25 million. I don't know exactly what he's making. Oh, yeah, 23 and a half. Like, it's not easy for the Celtics to get to that. Um, so John Collins, Cool name. It's leading bro, more but. to that. Uh, I just don't think that the Celtics should make a trade because I don't think there's anyone on the market who is an upgrade over kind of their current rotation who is they can match salaries Would with. Would PJ Washington do anything for you? Personally, no. Professionally, also no. Like, <laughs> I just think he's. I don't trust PJ Washington in a playoff series. I trust Grant Williams. Would he's Mason Plumley do anything for you? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> he, he puts up numbers. He's having a great, uh, Heck great of a statistical month. year. Heck of a month. Uh, but he's averaging like not, seventeen in January. And like, but his goofy left-handed shot is just like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going through the Plumlee experience. Who else you got on your list? Uh I feel like there should be a Zeller to mention after the. Are you Plumlee. just naming all the Charlotte Hornets? <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Hornets, the Hornets seem to be, uh, teams are, Ready? teams are looking at the Hornets as a team that might move just about anybody. So, so yes, I am just uh, naming random maybe, Hornets maybe at Ma- this point. I, I would like McDaniels, uh, because he's from the Nick Freeman coaching tree. Um, and he's a uh, super bouncy and athletic, but like, there's really no one on the Hornets roster who I think they're going to trade that I think I would want on the Boston Celtics. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a difficulty with finding a, uh, another big man is like, there's a lot of guys that, uh, just aren't very intriguing, (laughs) (laughs) especially like if, if the Celtics package together, Danilo Gallinari and Justin Jackson, I'm just saying those two names because those are two guys who are not in the rotation, and could and have salaries that could be used to go after somebody um, on the trade market. They can only absorb someone who makes like ten point, almost ten point five million dollars, just under ten point five million dollars. Um, if it to get any more than that, then all of a sudden you got to be like, 
giving up Peyton Pritchard or somebody. And Oh, can we talk about Peyton Pritchard? He had some interesting comments today on a podcast. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. They he weren't today, on, though. That was uh, or, uh, recently. recently, though. He was on Evan Turner and Andre Iguodala's podcast, and he was asked about kind of his role, and he used the interesting phrasing. He's, you know, he said the kind of like obvious things that he's looking for a bigger role, but he said next year, uh, I forget the exact phrasing what he said. We basically implied that this is his last year with the Celtics, which is odd because he's under contract for another year after this, but he basically, it seemed, it made it seem like, I don't know if this is true at all, but like just listening to what it said, it made it seem like he had like a handshake deal with the Celtics that he was, uh, they were going to try to like move him in the off season because, uh, he clearly implied that this was his last year with the team. Yeah, it was, it was interesting stuff. Um, and, and it was especially interesting because, Marcus Smart recently said, on top of the stuff that Peyton Pritchard said directly on the Point Forward podcast with Evan Turner and Andre Iguodala, Marcus Smart recently said uh, to that he told, tells Peyton Pritchard he's not just playing for the Celtics, but like also auditioning for other teams, which was interesting to say about one of your teammates um, and two one of your teammates. But it's true, and it, it makes sense. Honest. He's he's a he's a, like deserves more of a role just in terms of his talent and playing time than he currently has on the Celtics, and so I don't know if they're necessarily going to give him up in a deal, but it would like it would, like if they're actually trying to go out and get an impact player just in terms of like sheer roster construction. I think he's been a, a huge luxury for the team, and he went into Toronto and made a bunch of threes and has been very very solid. But I can see many a playoff game where Peyton Pritchard is not is just a DNP. And so in terms of where they have the most valuable value in terms of players on the roster and where they can a position they could stand to lose uh, a player from is like they don't need that many guards. And so I think trading Peyton Pitchard, uh just like logically makes sense. But again, still coming back to who is the person you're going for and why is it Kelly Olenek? But Kelly Olenek, you can't get there with Gallinari. Uh, Justin Jackson and Peyton Pritchard. How, How much is Kelly Olynyk making? He is making uh, slightly more. Yeah. He is making. Oh, you could get there. I'm wrong. You could get there. You could All get right. to Kelly Olynyk with that group. Is it worth it? I'm just thinking of like the Jazz as a team that, despite them being like more competitive than we think, like they're clearly open to moving players. Kelly Olynyk, known for his positional defense. We also know that that Brad Stevens is open to reacquiring uh, old guys, guys. Caucasian big men who he used to coach. This is true. This is uh, one of his go tos. And so what like in order to get that, you'd have to trade Peyton Pritchard. Is that worth it to give up a guy? It's like control of Pritchard, even though he wants to leave and has like a clearly uh has some value is it worth giving up an asset like that just to kind of have more i guess positional flexibility or uh i don't know maybe some some insurance uh for a potential playoff run at that kind of four or five position and would a linux be the guy that you'd want in your playoff rotation i mean kelly linux He's as much as I've credited him for positional defense over the years. I don't know if he's like the best at. Uh, he would certainly be a floor spacer. He's a floor spacer in shooting, and that's like that seems to be the 
the thing that's like interesting. If you are going to want to bring in a big, I think for the offense, it has to be a big who can shoot threes. And so um, just because it feels like the offense is so much better when they are playing five out. And so that's the kind of ideal big that you would get. But I don't know. I, I'd i have to think long and hard. And I think I would ultimately just say, no, the Celtics don't need to make a trade. Just like make sure that everyone's healthy heading into the playoffs and then you'll be fine. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Discover the latest collections from David Yerman, as seen recently, styled on basketball stars like Jaime Jaquez, Jalen Green, D'Angelo Russell, and others. David Yerman is a celebrated American jewelry company inspired by the beauty of art, architecture, and the natural world. The story of David Yerman begins in New York City with David, a sculptor, and his wife Sybil, a painter and ceramicist. When the artists began collaborating, their goal was to simply make beautiful design objects to wear. Over 40 years later, the Yermans and their son Evan continue to redefine American luxury jewelry with timeless modern collections for women and men defined by inspiration, innovation, consummate craftsmanship, and Cable, the brand's artistic signature. David Yerman's collections are available on davidyerman.com. Yeah. What about Chris Boucher? He can he do anything for me on offense? He, I guess he has that really, really he used to make threes. He has that real goofy three point shot, but uh, like that's not very consistent. It's not someone I trust in the playoffs. It's not someone who's going to be guarded in the playoffs. Yeah, probably not. But he he shoots a lot of them. All good, good for him. He just <laughs> hasn't made them this season, or basically since like that one season he had when he could really shoot. You're telling yeah, he me, shot 30, Jay, 38, 38% two years ago. Was that the year when there these... was nobody in the crowd? Yes. And other than that, he's basically been around like 30 to 32% his whole career. You're I don't not, know. You're, you've not sold me on any player uh, that the Celtics should really be targeting. Yeah. What about Jay Sean Tate? You, I mean, yeah, we can name guys all day. Jay Sean Tate can play defense, though. Does he move the needle for you, Jake? Which makes him different than a number of guys that we've brought up. He is. He's a lot more athletic and can play defense, but are you making a move to bring Jay Sean Tate in, expecting that you're going to play him in the playoff rotation? And the the Rockets also have him under contract, I think, for three more seasons. Two more seasons. Maybe maybe it's a a long-term Jay Sean Tate play. Could be Grant Williams' uh, insurance in case Grant Williams gets his big contract offer. Could be just another option to play a little differently with bigger switchy lineups. 
Uh, but yeah, another guy that's like, I think he could probably help. But again, is it, are you upgrading to Jay Sean Tate from Grant Williams? Probably not, because Grant Williams is a much better shooter and has been durable, stayed on the court. And right now, Jay Sean Tate has some injury issues with his ankle and stuff. I think he's still on a minute restriction. So, yeah, there's it's hard to find a guy who the Celtics could get like for cheap that that will that would sh- certainly be like playoff rotation guy. Um, and that's I'm, because their rotation is good and deep, but it also makes thinking of, of good trade targets. Like it's too bad because it would be a lot more fun if we could just name people who made $17 million or less, like with the, <laughs> the old TPE. Yeah. I mean, that, those, that those were fun days. Those were some of the best days. A biggest trade exception ever, too. Oh, don't forget that. I think, I think you should just it. start pre-writing your column now for Celtics stand pat at the deadline, and then I think you'll have a much easier uh, kind of immediate hours after the trade deadline when it does happen. Because you'll. Already I, I still think they will get another big, though. I just don't know if it'll make any difference. Well, then you can just throw in a paragraph about uh, at the end, they did trade three second round picks for, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know a marginal big man for one of the Plumleys. Yeah. For kilometers Plumley. Um, <laughs> thank you. That's okay, it. That's, that's all I got. got. What, wouldn't, uh, kilometers Plumley be better than miles Plumley? Are you saying kilometers are better, better than, than miles? Are kilometers longer than a mile? A uh, kilometer is about no. Well, yeah, a kilometer is like about one point six miles. Yeah, so that's no. what I'm saying. So no, a five k is three point one miles. So yeah, kilometer is one point six miles. So, so if it was kilometer Plumley, that'd be better than miles Plumley. So I w- would you give up a first round pick for kilometers Plumley? Kilometers Plumley could be crazy. One point six. <laughs> Like, just Mason Plumlee, one point six the size. I would trade for that. I would trade for eight foot. Yama, but instead of being an awesome shooter, nope. Andrew P saying a kilometer is point six miles. No, kilometers is smaller. Kilometers are smaller because a five k is only three miles, so a kilometer is much less. It's like a miniature Mason Plumlee. It'd be much a worse basketball player. Imagine sixty percent of uh, Mason Plumlee or Miles Plumlee, I guess. No. Huh? Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Because you need 5Ks to make up like 3.1 miles. Thus, kilometers are smaller than miles. Thus, they should not trade for kilometers plumbly. Yeah, no, you don't want a guard plumbly. Nobody wants a guard plumbly. <laughs> no, no one, one wants a big, a big man, man plumbly. That's funny. I, I, I was convinced that uh, I guess the metric system is hard. Uh, yeah, conversion is the hardest part. Um, we've clearly, we clearly have gotten to the conversions. I'm bad at, <laughs> I'm bad at, at all that stuff. Do we have any good we, comments today? I feel like we should bring up good comments when people no, give us people good com- complaining that the volume's too low, but only some people complain about that. So I'm not sure. And then I think a rogue Lakers. Why is your volume us, always so low? I don't know, bro. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Why can I hear is. you perfectly, but, but nobody See? else can. 
I think it's when you listen on an iPhone speaker mode. Uh, it's not the best volume, but that's my best, my only uh, answer to the solution. Do you have any junk from the Celtics Lakers game? Uh, I mean, it was we already talked about the the real junk. Well, obviously that was that made its way from the junk drawer to uh, the headline. But I'm saying any additional junk that remains in the back of the junk drawer. No. Well, good. Lucky enough, I got enough junk for the both of us. Uh, not enough booze. Not enough booze for Dennis Schroeder. Uh, I don't think people, the Celtics fan, not enough alcohol or like booing him. Booing him. He was not booed enough. I don't know about his alcohol consumption. Um, just watching Russ play basketball at this point in his career and how much space teams give him and how I think the the crowd successfully goaded Russ into taking two or three shots that he just absolutely shouldn't have taken because they just kind of like bullied him into it. Uh, it it's entertaining, but it's also sad because he used to be an elite basketball player. It was fun when uh, Cornette was guarding him and, and you could see Russ because Cornette guarded him successfully when the Celtics played the Lakers last time. And you could see Russ being like, I am not going to just be unaggressive against this guy again. Like, it may not work, but I am going at this fucking guy. And he tried a couple of times. Uh, he, like it was a weird cornet cor- contest where it wasn't like a true one. It was just he was guarding, giving he, Russ he so much space, space. Three kilometers just, away, three miles away. <laughs> he was giving him so much space that it was just like it was a normal kind of contest, but it was just uh, so far away. Russ was bad, and I don't know why they went to him in overtime uh, because it feels like he really killed a lot of their momentum. A lot of moments in this game where Russ, Pat Bev, and Dennis Schroeder were all on the court at the same time. And that's a choice. That's something that you you, you choose to do. Oh, it's the wild move from the ham man, Darvin Ham. Um, I don't know In why his defense, he doesn't have like good options. In his defense, like the, I mean, he got Rui Hachimura, who doesn't do anything at all. Um, yeah, that was a, Dennis. Dennis is very annoying um, to play against because he's just like very good at getting up under guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And I was just reminded of how annoying Dennis is. Um, and he's like the type of guy that you hate to play against, but then when he's on your team, you hate him even more. Um, and so. Uh, yeah, just just a fun reminder of uh, of Dennis. Fun to just repeat your your tweet too in podcast form. Oh yeah, well you got to replay the hits when you got a banger. I guess that's true. Thanks for uh, remembering my tweets, but not giving me any likes or retweets uh, as you see them. I'm not here to artificially pump up your your likes or retweets. I'm here to. Like or retweet. I'm not what I really I'm, want. I'm not. I'm not asking for artificial support. I'm asking for genuine support, Jay. That was a good joke, and you should have at least thrown a like at it. But nonetheless, we move on. Grant Williams, towards the end of the first half, just got the ball. There was like in a press, and it was like, all right, Grant Williams is going to break this press, and he got forced to the sideline. He did not step out of bounds. LeBron James yelled that he stepped out of bounds, and the ref called. Uh, uh, which is actually very funny in the context of like all the Lakers fans being like, you yeah, know, like LeBron never gets a call. 
The Lakers are, are like just punished by the refs. LeBron James literally just yelled that Grant Williams stepped out of bounds and Grant Williams was nowhere near the sideline and didn't step out of bounds and got a call that way. I would say in aggregate, LeBron James gets more respect from referees than he does not. And that was just a great example of it. He uh, still wild to not get a call as LeBron James. <laughs> on the last play of the game still wild for as a 38 year old man to throw a full-blown temper tantrum and then do downward dog for 45 seconds on the court <laughs> that was legit funny that whole scene was was so it was funny it was like, like it, it's oh, a brutal right. way for the lakers to lose a game it's brutal for their fans i'm sure but man it was so fucking funny now you, you want, want to talk about the true star, star of that game, game? Beverly. Nope. He's known as the world's oldest acrobat. Oh, Sladek. The amazing Sladek. My personal goat for halftime performer. The man risks life and limb every time he goes out there. Unlike some halftime performers who are allowed to just uh, screw up. Every time they go out there, oh, they just make a little mistake. It's okay. No, the Sladek makes no mistakes because if the Sladek makes a mistake, he's dead. He's going to climb on a table and then put five to six chairs on top of each other and then go to the top of them and do a handstand. And it's legitimately terrifying to watch. It is scary because you think he's going to fall and he just never does because he's the amazing Sladek, the world's oldest acrobat, and he's the goat. He's the goat. He doesn't make mistakes. He's not allowed to make mistakes. Other people make mistakes left and right. And then later in the game, he does a, a handstand, and Lucky did a trampoline dunk through his legs. It was phenomenal stuff from Sladek. And uh, I just don't want people to to lose sight of when, when you watch greatness come into the garden, whether it's LeBron James, whether it's the amazing Sladek, you should, you should take notice. Sladek, uh, he's a legend. Absolute legend. That guy does death-defying stunts at all times. Uh, I don't know how I, he does it. Yeah, I don't know how he does it either. He is very old, uh, the world's uh, load, oldest acrobat. Um, Al Horford's kind of lucky uh, because he took that shot at the at the end of the game that would have tied it, uh, hit the side of the backboard. Very lucky it bounced right to Jalen Brown. It was wide the... open, too. It, it was, was a... not the best pass from Jason Tatum. Like, he caught it in a weird It, it was a good side. look, but bad pass. Like, like great decision to make the extra pass and then just kind of wasn't in the shooting pocket, Wasn't didn't hit Al Horford in rhythm. And he's a man of rhythm sometimes. And, no, he uh, needs to, he needs to be hitting rhythm. He once he once he caught that like he caught it low by kind of his right the top chin. Of the backboard. I also think it yeah. was probably a bad decision for Jalen Brown to go up for a bucket in that situation. <laughs> down down three just to go up for a nice little layup. Very lucky yeah. he got fouled there. Yeah. Um. And, and I mean they they could have still won the game, but statistically speaking, I would. Strongly guess that in that situation, he should have looked to pass it for a three-point shooter instead of going out for a layup. However, <laughs> however, it worked. It worked. He uh, screamed at a referee, eventually got a call, 
And uh, and then he made the free throw. It was crazy that he got in that situation for the second straight game. Did did you he think he was going to make going to make that free throw needed to tie the game? Like because you look yeah. to the bench, Sam Hauser had his hands on his head, and he was very he looked very concerned that Jalen was going to uh, choke uh, those free throws again. No, no, uh, I I thought he would make it j- just because he's shooting like close to eighty percent on the season, or like seventy six percent, or whatever it is. He's not a bad free throw shooter anymore, and uh, it would it would have been tough if he if he had missed that one though. The uh, the people would have been out. That would have been one of those booze. I think there would have been booze in that. No, I I don't think there would have been booze, but that would have been for that's happened two games in a row. Let's just say he's he's lucky he avoided that one. Not lucky. He's he was skilled enough to avoid that one. That's that's fair. Um, and that's it. I'm all out of junk. Uh, I got nothing left to say about this one basketball game. I got nothing left to say about LeBron James' temper tantrum. Uh, shouts to Pat Bev for bringing a camera out into the court. Uh, that's fantastic. That's absolutely potable. I would further contend that anything is potable. Uh, and I would thank you for listening to this here audio program. Thanks to everyone who joined us here in the live room. We'll be back later this week, probably to break down the Celtics against the Brooklyn Nets. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you then. Jay, I've I've not planned out this uh, outro at all, and so I haven't figured out an organic way to yell anything is potable, and so I'm just going to keep talking until I slowly fade out. That wasn't a very slow fade out, honestly. You just stopped yeah, talking. I, yeah, no, I realized that as soon as you were as a liar I, and a uh, fraud. I don't think we need to go that far. I just made the simple mistake. Uh, like, oh, whoa. Speaking of simple mistakes, <laughs> let's end on this. Can you believe the referee's tweet like apologizing for the the getting the call wrong and the many sleepless nights that will be going on? Like, that was re- absolutely absurd. Just the need, the the referee's feeling the need to be like, we will we will lose sleep over this. This is the most horrific thing we've done, and we'd like to apologize to LeBron James and the sanctity of basketball and uh, to the peach basket uh, that we've ruined with our actions. It was absolutely ridiculous. Oh, the the other part of that that was uh, just pure comedy was Dennis Schroeder saying that refs should get fined for mistakes like, like Dennis Schroeder is is mistakeless and has <laughs> has never made a mistake. He has never done anything to cost his team in a game. There's there's never been any decision that he's made, no shot that he's taken, no <laughs> no minutes of extra dribbling that was totally unnecessary to so that that cracked me up too like like the the players whose contract is fully guaranteed no matter how bad they fuck up. Saying well, that that referees should should be fined for for not being perfect all the time. Shockingly, and this is absolutely where we're going to have to end the podcast. I'm going to defend Dennis Schroeder right here because if anyone knows about taking a financial loss for making a mistake, it's Dennis Schroeder for not taking that four year, eighty million dollar contract and then having to play on mid level exceptions and minimums in each of the subsequent years. So. Dennis knows a thing or two about being fined for mistakes made.
And so I think he's uh, fair in that assessment about referees. You think they should be fined for missing calls? <laughs> no, no, no. That's absurd. But I just gave Dennis Schroeder <coughs> praise. Anything is potable, folks. Anything is potable! As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.